This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome, everybody. We're in uh, the third week of a series that we've called Dream Job. And really, the whole point of this series is to try to reclaim the joy that God designed to be associated with work. But before we get started, I really want to do something that is kind of dear to me. I have a friend. His name is Jeremy Canada. Here's a picture of Jeremy and his wife. Uh, Jeremy today is doing uh, something that I did about four and a half years ago. He's starting a church. Now, we're a part of an organization called The Ark, and through our giving to The Ark, we get to resource and source so many church planners, but it's always neat when I know the person that's doing it. Right, so today in South uh, Nashville, in, in, a, in a small little suburb, he is launching in a movie theater a brand new church called Christ Chapel, and I'm excited for him. And as a matter of fact, their service starts in nine minutes. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for him. Would you pray with me? God, I just want to lift up my friend Jeremy. God, thank you for the years that he served you so faithfully, God. We got to travel the country and sing together when we were in college. And God, now he's been on staff in Destin, Florida for a number of years. But you called him and you put this city on him and his wife's heart. And they've lived there for months now preparing for this day. And so, God, I know he's worried because it's raining in Nashville today. And he's worried if anybody's going to show up. But I know that you have something powerful in store for them. So, God, give him courage courage today. God, give him strength. Remind him that you are a God that does the impossible and in front of his eyes increases faith as you do the impossible. Launch a brand new life-giving church for Nashville and the surrounding areas that you would use him to speak life and joy and hope into so many people. God, do it in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, every um, week in the series, I've opened with this thought. I just want to spend a moment talking about it, that our struggles are born from places where our perception is a great distance from God's truth. And if I were really going to say what this series is all about, this series is all about shifting our perspective on what work is to what God's perspective is. But here's the thing I want you to understand is that perception is really the greatest battle that we fight as a believer and follower in Jesus is being able to shape our perception to where we would think about and see things the way that God would want us to see them. And the problems that are kind of pervasive in our lives, the strife, the depression, the anxiety, the fear, all of that is born in areas where our perception is a great distance from God's truth. I've kind of drawn it out for you to understand it like this, because we need to understand that Jesus is at the center of all truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. He is the way. He is life embodied, and he is truth. And if we're ever going to experience truth, Jesus has to be at the center of that truth. Let me just say this. This is a little bit bold, but I want you to get it today, that if Jesus is not at the center of your truth, it's not true. And you need to know that. 
If he's not the center of the way that you think a world should be, the way that you think your family should be, if he's not the center of of your truth, it is not true because we tend to skew truth and we tend to go different directions and I've used these to kind of illustrate this where we can go to a more liberal perspective of truth and then a more conservative, don't get political on me, that's not what I'm doing with those words, all right? More liberal means that we basically take the truth and we run with it. We have all the freedom associated with the truth but none of the discipline and then we can get skewed on the other side where we have all the discipline but without the freedom that's associated with it. And what I want you to understand is that the point of the gospel, Galatians says, is to make you free. It is to experience freedom. Freedom without discipline is not freedom. Freedom without discipline is not free. It is bondage. And we've learned that, many of us. As we've been fasting for the last few weeks, we're in 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I shared with you last week, I mean, I I think that sometimes we don't realize that every time we can say yes, we do say yes to something, like coffee for me. And so in this Daniel fast where I can't have coffee for 21 days, I had a headache for three days to remind me, Kevin, you've been saying yes. If all you do is say yes, you're in bondage. But on the other side, if all you do is say, if, if, if we're just living in discipline without the freedom that is associated with truth, this is where things like, like abuses are born. It's specifically think about food where there are eating disorders that are born out of the side. Right? Jesus is at the center of all truth. And so what we want to do is reclaim the truth of work throughout this series. If you missed the first two weeks, let me just go ahead and catch you up. In the first week, this is in your notes, I gave you this, that your work is your worship. We need to re-understand what that word worship means. Worship is an invitation to respond to God. And we do that when we sing together, don't we? Because some of us come in on Sunday morning and we're so excited God's done something good for us and we just want to connect with that song that says praise him. But some of us come in struggling and we want to sing and we want to sing because we need the God that we sing about. But either way, it's a response. But you can't relegate worship to just singing or church service because you respond to God in every moment of every day. Worship is a pervasive experience. And your work is a part of your worship. We see that in this kind of in Matthew 5, verse 16, where the Bible says Jesus is teaching and he says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. A lot of times when we think about good deeds in that verse, we think about charity or simple acts of kindness, but that's not what the Greek actually means. The Greek means your work, your vocation. And so the idea is that people will see believers that work in such a way that they will go, there is no way that they would be able to work that way if they were not believers and followers in Jesus there is something different about them. And last week I reminded you of this truth that we must carefully guard our perspective of work. We must carefully guard it. Our, our hearts are so important and that's where we kind of, uh, kind of bank our perspectives at. And, and we know that the Bible teaches us that life flows out of our perspectives, flows out of our hearts, but, but it also tells us that our hearts are deceitful and wicked and will trick us. It will tell us that we want things that we don't really want, and so we must learn to guard our hearts. And last week I told you that one of the ways that we need to do that is we just must com- commit to quit complaining. In Philippians, the Bible says, don't complain about anything and you will no longer be criticized. I think that's a remarkable statement. 
Because what happens when we complain is we take the negative aspects of life and we elevate them to become talking points. And what happens when we start doing that is all of a sudden around us we create a culture of criticism and what will happen eventually is you will become the negative talking point for somebody else. They will criticize you. So we must carefully guard our perspective of work. Have you ever felt like you had too much work to do? You ever felt like I just can't fit all the stuff I'm supposed to do in one day? I got so much to do at home, so much to do at work. It's just impossible. How do I even squeeze in time to have a relationship with my spouse or have a relationship with God? Can I tell you next week I'm going to talk about that? All right, you don't want to miss it. It's probably, out of all four messages, the most life-changing one. You don't want to miss it next week, okay? So as we get ready for this week, I, I want to tell you a story. It's a story of a man. His name was Hiro Inada. During the ending of World War II and the Pacific Theater, there was several different tactics that the Japanese were employing to delay the ending of the war. One of them is that they trained a group of counterintelligence officers that they dropped on these random islands throughout the Pacific. Onada was one of those. Basically, their whole mission was to sabotage everything that the Allies were doing. Blow up airfields, blow up ports, kill any soldier, kill high-ranking officials. Basically, they were just undercover operatives dropped in to delay the advance of the Allies. Onada was dropped on Wubang Island. I did not say Wu-Tang, okay? Wubang Island in the Philippines, where he began to work with the existing soldiers that were there to carry out his mission. And it wasn't before too long that the United States dropped atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the Japanese surrendered. The news of the surrender began to spread throughout the islands and it eventually spread to the island where Onada was stationed. And when he heard the news as the other soldiers were surrendering around him, Onada made this important decision. He decided that the news was fake. It was not real. And so he ran. He ran into the jungles of Wubang Island to evade capture and to evade surrender. I want you to know that there are many of us that are here today that are like Lieutenant Donata. We have seen the truth of God We've seen what he's asked of us. We see what he wants us to do. We see that, that there is a different way to approach life. There's a different perspective, and we've seen it, and we go, this doesn't add up to what I think I want right now, and we ran. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to help you get a, a more clear biblical perspective of what work is. So number one in our notes is that our perspective of work will impact everything we do. Our perspective of work will impact everything that we do. I think a lot of times when we approach a series like this, you, you obviously are going to work more. You're going to go to your job and invest more time in what you do on average than anything else that you'll do besides sleep in the next year. You'll have more time at work than you'll have family time. You'll more have more time at work than you'll ever have at church. You'll do more. But the way that we think about work impacts every area of our lives. 
So I think that after several weeks, some of you are going, well, well, how should I think about work then? I mean, I get it. Work is worship, and I need to be real careful at guarding my heart so that I don't get a kind of bitter spirit about all of this, and I need to make sure that I get it right. But what is the right perspective? So let me give you this. Work is an invitation from God to display his glory to a world that needs to see faith, hope, and love in action. It's an invitation from God to display his glory to a world that needs to see faith, hope, and love in action. See, all of worship is responding to an invitation. and The work that you have been given, some of y'all were there. You didn't have a job you needed to provide for your family, and you prayed, and God provided the job that you have. And Some of y'all, you may not look at your work as a blessing, but the truth is all throughout the Scriptures, work is always described as being a blessing, that you have something to do and the capacity to do it is a blessing. And so we must respond to that invitation from God to step in and give our lives and work, submit to him and serve and be generous in our lives. And I I think that we need to realize that our world needs to see faith, hope, and love in action. I mean, I don't know if y'all spent much time on Facebook or Twitter this past weekend, but if you did, you know for sure that our world needs to see faith, hope, and love in action. They need to see that. I mean, the people that you go to work with every day, your coworkers, your boss, your employees, they need to see faith, hope, and love in action. I mean, your, your employees, if you're a leader in your company, they, they need to see somebody who looks at every challenge with faith, who always says, we may not be able to do this, but God can we're going we're gonna to submit to him and trust him. And you, you might work with coworkers who need to see, even though you are going through a difficult time, that they may know your story, but they see joy and peace in you. Because they need to see that. Our world needs to see faith, hope, and love in action. Your boss needs to see it too. I can tell you after almost a decade now of leading people in the church setting, it is so much easier to lead somebody who comes and always says, God can. I know the circumstances seem difficult, but God can do this. Your boss needs to see faith, hope, and love in action. Because when they do, it displays God's glory in a way that we could never even imagine. But how many of y'all know that That's not often how we do it, is it? As a matter of fact, we we oftentimes shy away from the invitation. Maybe even unwillingly give ourselves to our work. And maybe tomorrow morning when the alarm clock goes off, you may not say it out loud, but in your heart, you kind of begrudgingly go about doing what God's asked you to do in your work. Maybe that attitude doesn't just stay there. Maybe it seeps over into the way that you're working at home. Working in your relationship with your spouse. Because here's something I want you to know about work. Number two in your notes is that healthy takes work. Can I just tell you that there's nobody that's healthy on accident? Nobody. Unless they're like 10 years old and metabolism hasn't slowed down and they can eat a pie and they don't gain five pounds in the next day. And we hate them all, right? I'm just telling you, right? 
There's nobody that's healthy on accident. You don't see that guy that's like chiseled abs and like perfect physique and runs marathons regularly. You don't see that guy and go, man, how do you do it? Well, you know, I just lay in the bed all day, eating chocolate pie, drinking soda. Just, I don't know, it's just natural. No, healthy doesn't happen on accident. Healthy takes work. It takes work in every area of our lives, which is why I love this verse out of 1 Corinthians 9.27 where the Apostle Paul is talking about how sin has infected our bodies. Look at what he says. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. You know why we must go through periods of time like a fast? It's because we must learn to say no to what we want right now so that we can say yes to what we want forever. We have to learn to say no to what we want right now so that we can learn to say yes to what we want forever. The Apostle Paul says, listen, my body wants to do things that it shouldn't do. It desires sin, and so I'm going to train my body. Because healthy takes work. Can I just tell you something? There's a lot of us in the room that are married and we look at some couples and a lot of times we say, I just wish I could have their marriage. As if there's like some fairy dust that God could sprinkle over you and all of a sudden you have a great marriage, right? Now sometimes we look at people on Facebook and it just looks like they have a great marriage and they really don't. <laughs> just all window dressing this, trying to impress people. But sometimes there are those people that have lasted the seasons and have loved each other well and we look at them. But the thing is, is, you don't know all the work that went in for them to get there. You don't know the fights and the tears. You don't know what it took. Because it takes a lot of work to have a healthy marriage. See, there's nobody in this room right now that's living financially healthy that's doing it on accident. It takes a lot of work to be healthy financially. It takes a lot of work to have a budget, to say no to things that, you don't need right now because you have long-term financial goals that you're working towards. It takes a lot of work to do that. And nobody's healthy on accident. Can I just tell you, if you're running a business or you're leading in a company, there is no way to have a healthy company or a healthy business on accident. It takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of work. Healthy takes work. You know, for many of us, Many of us, we, we, we were just like that silver bullet that we could have, right, to be healthy. If you could just give me that one magic supplement pill that would help me lose all my weight and be fit and, you know, grow some muscles and grow my hair back, all that, that would be just one pill. Do all that. I'd, man, I'd be on that in a minute, wouldn't you? We want that because we live in a culture that has ever increasingly become obsessed with fast and quick and easy. I mean, we learned that in our health. There is no quick or fast or silver bullet that's going to help us make this drastic shift overnight. But what there is is our ability to say, I'm going to buy into something for the long term. And it's really spiritually is born out of number three. When we begin to work like we know that Jesus is our real boss. Y'all ever had that friend at work that every time the boss wasn't there, they just play solitaire all day? 
Y'all read that friend? That friend that when, when the boss sitting there, they just go around talking to everybody. The boss shows back up, all of a sudden they're super productive, right? Knocking everything out that's supposed to be getting done. See, the thing is, is as believers, when we accept the fact that ultimately in every job that we'll ever have, Jesus is our boss, it changes things, doesn't it? Look at Colossians 3.23. Look at this. I want to spend some time unpacking this. Look at this verse. Let's get that up there. Work willingly. Now, let's just stop there. Work willingly. How many of y'all know that just to begin to shift that attitude, to be able to say, God, I will willingly do whatever you ask me to do. Not begrudgingly. I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to view it as punishment. I'm going to willingly do whatever, whatever. How many of y'all know whatever? That's a big word, right? No end to that one. That means, that means the work that we do in our jobs, the work that we do at home to serve our families, the work in our relationship with our spouse, the work cultivating our relationship with God. God, I will willingly work at whatever you do whatever you call me to do, as though we were working for the Lord rather than for people. How would it change for you if you walked in tomorrow morning and the question that you asked at your job was not, will my boss be happy with my performance today, but this question, will God be happy with what I accomplished today? Would it change things? Because the truth is, is that Jesus is your real boss. And I think that when we start to understand that Jesus is our real boss, it begins to provoke a different way of working inside of us. All of a sudden, we don't take that time off because the boss isn't there looking at us. All of a sudden, everything that we do, we want to do it to the best of our ability because it is worship. It is adoring and responding to the King of Kings. Every single moment spent doing everything we do, we're working. Like he's our boss. You know what happens when that happens? You look different. To a world that is lost and hurting and broken, you look different. You look different than a world that is all concerned about itself only wants to promote itself. You look different than a, to a world that is, that is broken and lost and looking for hope and substance. In that context, all of a sudden, you look different and people start to ask questions. Can I tell you about that moment when people finally start to notice that Jesus is your real boss and when your boss comes in with new quotas, you don't get all turned about it. When, when all of a sudden something shifts in your company, you're not too worried about it. When things change dramatically and quickly, you're not too worried about it because Jesus is your boss. Can I tell you what happens when people start asking questions about you? Like, how do you have joy in this season? Here's what happens. All of a sudden, if we work in such a way that people ask us questions the answers that we have make more sense. Y'all ever notice that? You go to work and it's a tragic and difficult season in your life and people are looking at you and they're expecting you to be sad and downcast and they look at you and they see hope and joy 
And they'd come up and they'd just say, hey, what, what, what's different? What, how can you be this way? All of a sudden you say something like, Jesus is my hope. Well, that makes a, a difference in other times, but in that context, it makes a lot more sense. If you're a salesman and you went into an environment where most of the people that you work with don't believe in Jesus and you said, hey, you know what, God, I just, I just want you to show your favor so that I can glorify you. And all of a sudden in your career, there are people who come up and go, how are you getting all these big deals? And you don't go, hey, it was the hard work I did cultivating a relationship. You know, I, I did this strategy and this. You just simply say it was all God. It was all Him. He blessed me, and I'm here to show His glory. That's all that's going on right now. All of a sudden, those answers that we have make more sense. And there's some of y'all that, honestly, your work situation is difficult. Maybe you go into a place and your coworkers are tough to be around, and maybe your, your boss isn't a good boss. Can I, can I just remind you that we still live in a broken and fallen world that doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. I think that sometimes we think we give our lives to Jesus and God's going to make our life better. God doesn't necessarily make your life better, but giving your life to Jesus makes you better at life. And so what I want to encourage you to do, if that's you, pray. Ask God, God, what are you teaching me in this difficult season? God, what are you showing me? Learn the lesson. Because until you learn it, you're probably going to stay in a pattern of going through opportunities to learn that lesson. And pray. Because our God changes everything. I want you to see that. You know, many of us, we understand that work is difficult. And really the difficulty in work began in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve had sinned and fallen and they broke in this perfect world that God established. And God at the very end of chapter 3 in Genesis uh, goes through what the rabbis call the curses, really pronouncing all the things that are now going to shift because sin has entered the world. And he says this to Adam beginning in verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Look at this. It will produce thorns. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat the food until you return to the ground, since it's from where you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. See, God says, Adam, I want you to understand that now, because of sin, you're going to plant good seed, but there's going to be times that you do good work and you don't get good results. There's going to be thorns that are there. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And from time to time, you're going to see how hard it really can be. And so many of us have experienced the difficulty that is associated with work, and I think sometimes we associate that with saying that work is punishment, but it's not. God created you to work. And this is a curse that is associated with sin. And see, God saw us broken in all this mess and he wasn't okay with just leaving you that way. So God sent his son Jesus to literally break every curse that we stand under as sinners. I want you to pick up on what happens here in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 27. 
Then the soldiers of the governor, Pilate, took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when he had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him, mocking him and saying, Hail to the king of Jews. They spat on him, and then they took a reed and struck him on the head. And then when they had mocked him, they took the robe off, put his own clothes back on him, and led him away to be crucified. You've heard that story of the twisting of the crown of thorns and then putting it on the head of Jesus, that symbol of the toil and pain that was going to be associated with our work. Jesus absorbed the blow of our sin, even in the pain that's associated with our work, and in that broke the curse that is associated. And when he offers you new life, he offers you the opportunity to step into every place that you work, whether it be at home, whether it be in your career, whether it be with your spouse and even in our relationship with him, to now find joy and peace in our work. Let's go back to Hiro Onoda. The end of World War II, he disappeared into the jungle of Wubang Island. where for years he would wait. His commanding officer told him when he was dropped that maybe one year, maybe two years, maybe five years, but we're going to come back for you. And as he waited, he continued to carry out his mission, which was to disrupt the mission of the Allies. He lived in small, makeshift lean-tos, Around the island, he would very occasionally be convinced that there was an ally living as a civilian, and he murdered and executed, blew up bridges, blew up roads. Once a year, he would kill a cow and dry the meat so that he could survive. He lived off of worms and crops that he could steal. Until the early 1970s when a young hippie named Norio Suzuki left Japan in search for Lieutenant Inada, a panda bear, and the abominable snowman. In that order. And he went to Wubang Island, went into the jungle, and three days later found Lieutenant Inada. When he found him, Hiro would later rec- or recall that he didn't shoot him because he thought he looked so funny, this young hippie walking in the middle of the jungle. And he took a picture with Anata. This is the picture. And he took it back to the Japanese government. See, they had tried to convince him for years. They dropped leaflets over the jungle. The war's over, hero. Give it up. The war's over. Here's pictures of your family. Come home. The war's over. And every time he would choose, and he would say, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's not the truth. That's a lie. That's not the truth. That's a lie. That's not the truth. Constantly be invited back into life, but he would constantly turn away from it. And so when they went back and went back to Japan, his taking that picture, the Japanese government enlisted the help of Yoshimi Yoshimi Taganuchi, who is pictured in this next picture over here um, on the right. That was his commanding officer that told Hiro, we'll come back for you. It may be a year. It may be two. But we'll come back for you. And so... On December the 18th of 1974, Hero, pictured there in the middle, surrendered. Turning over a machine gun that still had 1,500 rounds of bullets. 
and his imperial sword. The moment after he turned the sword in, the reporters say he fell to his face, crying and sobbing. Because listen to this, he had spent most of his life fighting a war that was already over. I think there's so many of us that in our perception, in our wrestling with truth, we're fighting a war that's already been won. God's already won the war. That moment on the cross when Jesus gave it all, he bought your freedom. You don't have to wrestle with it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to be perfect for it. He already paid for it. And that freedom is available to you right now. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.